0: All right. Welcome back. This is now episode number four of Invisible Enemy, Um, talking about COVID-19 in the early days based on the uh, book that I am currently working on. Got pushed a little bit back to the back of the the line as I work on um, the Kyle Rittenhouse book and finally making some headway on that, some progress on that. And then looking at the uh, Voter Fraud 2020 book as well. And who knows what else may be in store here. So still, (laughs) excuse me, still getting my voice back. So I do apologize for that. Um, We're going to go ahead and get right into this one here. So let's go ahead. We're going to continue on. And what we are continuing on today is with um, March 25th. So this is about as far as we got last time. So we're going to look at some of the... um, Events, some of the things going on on March 25th. So, March 25th, 2020, the, the Department of Defense enacted a 60 day stop uh, movement order for all DoD uniformed and civilian personnel and their sponsored family members overseas. This measure is taken to aid in further prevention of the spread of coronavirus disease 2019 to protect U.S. personnel and preserve the operational readiness of our global force. Global force, building upon previously enacted movement restrictions governing foreign travel, permanent change of station moves, temporary duty, and personnel leave. Personal leave. This stop movement order will also impact exercises, deployments, redeployments, and other global force management activities. Approximately 90,000 service members slated to, to deploy or redeploy over the next 60 days will likely be impacted by the stop movement order. So this is a big deal here. And this is from uh, defense.gov newsroom. So I got that link there as well. And I will be putting this um, rough draft here up on my website, whatistruth911.wordpress.com. And um, so you'll have access to this if you if you want to take if you want to check this out. And um, I will make sure to put all of the past videos, the playlist, any future videos will all show up there too. So, and you can go and check out those links. Hopefully they're still active. A lot of them I was able to pull and get for us. So hopefully that will help as well. Now. Um, I thought this is pretty interesting because a lot of these things are coming to a stop, including the exercises, the deployments. It's like a, it's, you know, there's something really, really big here. You can see how seriously they're taking this in March 25th, on March 25th, 2020. So I thought that was pretty, pretty important. Any, anything, any movements that the government was making, the Department of Defense, I should say, was, were making at that time. I thought were pretty relevant and wanted to make sure that it was all documented. The thing about this book you'll find here, maybe maybe that's how all of my books are and how they all will be is, you know, it's very textbook. It's very bullet point-y. It's not a story. It's not for entertainment value. There's nothing really entertainment entertaining that I find about this stuff, but it's more for educational purposes to understand what we were being told then to remind you, because you may already know what we were being told then as opposed to what is going on now. And you can see how the situation has gotten worse, or has gotten better, or has stayed this, the same? I guess, but just to kind of document all of these things that were happening, and um, how many soldier service members that were slated to deploy or redeploy over the next sixty days will likely be impacted by the stop movement order. So, I, I think that's I think that's a pretty big uh, pretty big thing. Uh, what do you all think about that one? So, um, let's go. <clears throat> So another another big thing that kind of happened, and you can read that right here, according to a spokesman for Italy's Civil Protection Agency, as of March 25th, 2020, almost 75,000 people in that country had tested positive for the coronavirus. And they had um, uh, 7,500 deaths that were re- reported. Um, pretty interesting numbers there. And again, I don't know, false positives, um I don't know if the deaths were um if they had pre-existing conditions later on we kind of find out that it seemed like a lot of them did I don't know what was going on there at that time how accurate the numbers that we were getting were um I always feel like the numbers that the government gives out are a little more conservative they don't want to create a panic and everything so I get that but um better to be accurate I think you know hey people are going to panic, they're going to panic no matter what, so, and we saw that, right, (laughs) a lot of people did panic, and went and bought all the toilet paper for some reason, bought all that stuff, but who knows, you know, now with what's happening with these truckers, who knows how bad things are, things are going to get, anyways, way, way in the future as far as now, Um, but Okay, so a, there's a contributing journalist for NBC News, and what she says is that the Italian doctors are being forced to choose who will receive desperately needed ventilators and who won't. Ventilators are a very, very big key. If you're on a ventilator with COVID, I really think that's totally different than someone who is just having a flu or just has a cold, but they're, they test positive for COVID. I really think there's a big, big difference. I don't know what your all of your thoughts are on that, but... That's kind of you know been kind of the litmus test that I've been going by. Maybe that's not the most accurate to, to go by, but it's kind of what I've been um thinking, like, wow, okay. Because anytime we get a flu, anytime we get a cold, the first thing people may ask you, this may happen to you, first thing they may ask you, um, is it is it COVID? <laughs> Did you get tested for COVID? How do you know it's not COVID and all that? So it's like, well, I get tested if if it is, what, what can I do? If I'm on a ventilator you know, maybe that's a little bit different, a lot different, I would think, than just having a cold and, okay, well, just kind to kind of wait it out. But if you have COVID and you're on a ventilator, I think that's very, very serious. Um, and we know people who have survived that too, thankfully, thank God. Uh, she also writes that authorities in the country are also investigating whether a champion league soccer game in February, dramatically increased the spread, and we see some of these things where um, we're seeing a lot of this now. Um, it's probably been happening. I probably just am late. I'm tardy to the to the party once once again, but kind of seeing um, all these sports figures, especially in soccer or what they call football, um, dropping during games and stuff like that. There's a lot of videos out there. Facebook is trying to really hide those. It's not easy to share. If you add them to a, to a playlist or add them to a save video or something like that, it makes it very hard for people to share those videos. So it's become kind of a challenge finding those videos and then sharing them too. And so if Facebook is doing that, I'm sure probably YouTube is even worse at doing that too. Um, so... That's pretty interesting there, and that is from NBC News. Uh, the title of that article is Coronavirus Updates. Senate Passes $2 trillion Stimulus Plan, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So for whatever reason, during the daily press conference at the White House on March 25th, 2020, at 325 p.m., President Trump was asked, how many deaths are acceptable? Now, I mean, if you know anything about the way that the media was treating President Trump, if you were following it during those those years from 2016 uh, to 2020, man, I mean, the questions they would ask, that's stuff they would never ask Obama. They would never ask Biden, probably not even Bush, And we we know how bad Bush was. We know what Bush did on September 11th and all that stuff. And you go back, like, the way they treated President Trump just seems so different than the way that they have treated every other president. Just about every other president, I think. I mean, as far as I've I've seen here. But, I mean, what type of question is that? How many deaths are acceptable? What do you think he's going to say? It's just such a a ridiculous question. And you can kind of guess on who. Would ask that question, but of course, here's the answer. President's answer was clear: none. So those are the types of questions the media attacked Trump with, and it's always ongoing. Uh, It's it's still even going. He's not even president now. I'm sure if they could try to impeach him now, they they would figure out some way to go back in time and impeach him for a third time if they could figure out time travel. I'm sure some of them would be in favor of that. Now, in the coming days, those attacks would get worse. And they do. I mean, they really get worse. The media is just all over him. And not in a constructive way, not in a productive way. It is a destructive way. And it really exposes who this media is and their hatred for President Trump, their anti-Trump stance, anything Trump is for, and they're kind of against. Um, so having watched all of his daily press conferences during that time, yes, I came to the conclusion. That it was not a good idea to joust with President Trump. He's got their number, so every question they would ask him off-topic on you, know, you can't ask Biden any questions that are off-topic. They ask you can ask Trump anything, and he'll give you an, an answer. Um, so they should not joust with him. But go back and check out the press conference from March twenty fifth, twenty twenty, and you may be surprised at uh, how they kind of treat President Trump. During that time. Pretty interesting stuff to me, at least. So I think it's really true. If you're going to joust with President Trump, bring your A game, bring your A game because you're, you're, you're going to need it. You're really going to need it with that guy. So uh, during his March 25th press conference, President Trump was asked about a tweet he made earlier that day. Mr. President, you had tweeted earlier linking the closing of the country to your election success in November. Is this Easter timeline based on your political interests? (laughs) And President Trump asked, what do you mean by success? And the person responds, the lapdog responds, You said that the media wants the country to remain closed to hurt your odds of being reelected. Here's what Trump clarifies. The media would like to see me do poorly in the the election, which is true. Um, And then he's asked, sir, lawmakers and economists on both sides of the aisle have said that reopening the country by Easter is not a good idea. What is that plan based on? Fair question. Just so you understand, President Trump responded, are you ready? I think there are certain people that would like it not to open so quickly. I think there are certain people that would like it to do financially poorly because they think that would be very good as far as defeating me in the polls. And I don't know if that's so, but I do think it's so that a lot of, that there are people in your profession that would like that to happen. But your own medical experts did not endorse that plan yesterday. I think it's very clear, President Trump continued, I think it's very clear that there are people in your profession that write fake news. You do. She does. There are people in your profession that write fake news. They would love to see me for whatever reason because we've done one hell of a job. Nobody has done the job that we've done, and it's lucky that you have this group here right now for this problem, or you wouldn't even have a country left. President Trump also made clear to all President Trump also made sure to remind everyone about the origin of COVID 19. It came out of China. Asked how many deaths were acceptable, the president responded with none. President Trump was asked about the testing process and why we were not testing everyone. Here's his response We have some big problems, President Trump admitted concerning the virus. But it's confined to certain areas high density areas so why would we test the entire nation 35 million people with that being said i'm going to say it again we tested far more than anybody else we are we have the ability to test i mean we've come to we've come a long way from an obsolete broken system that i inherited i have now we have now tested with the best tests far more than anybody else and when i say anybody else i'm talking about other countries no country is even close so this is interesting here where he's talking about these confined areas because it, that's what we were seeing in the rural areas it was not happening right we weren't seeing this thing where you needed to test but he's saying why would why would we need to test everyone that's where they are now under biden they want to test everyone they want everyone to get tested in order to work. So it's not like it's it's a punishment now if you don't get tested. Under Trump, it was nothing like that. He had he makes it very very clear no intention of testing everyone. It was not needed. It was not necessary. Why would you want to test everyone? So I think he makes a very a very valid point there in that. And even you know, it's Martin. You could say, well, one year later, you know, there's more and this and that. It's like no, the more that the coronavirus went on. They had to have these variants because it was not, we were, it, the numbers were decreasing. So with the variants and all that stuff, they wanted to make it seem like the numbers were going up. Oh, it's a new variant. So now we've got to start all over. They wanted to continually start all over with the coronavirus. This is why it's so good to look at these early days to see what they were doing, what the game plan was for these people that want to shut down this country, to destroy this country and keep it shut down. This is the game plan. Is it a coincidence that they just happen to have this plan and, and, hey, here comes along this virus and we can use that to our advantage? You have to be the judge of that. So, I mean, he makes it very clear. It's not, there's no reason to test everyone, right? And they were saying that in the very beginning now it's not just about tests now you know i have to get the vaccine so whether you test or not it's, they would just want the vaccine it's so ridiculous the whole thing is ridiculous uh they came up with a statistic i guess yesterday president trump continued and i heard that i heard from dr burks where it's for eight eight days here more than eight weeks in south korea South Korea has done a good job but we did it in eight days more than South Korea did in eight weeks that's a big number and we're getting I said before exponentially better every day it's going up substantially we have an incredible apparatus built now but no I don't want to test 350 million people I think that's ridiculous so you may have a good point what do you guys think about that one I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and what you think about testing everybody. Should we all be tested? Mandatory or not? Now, regarding immigration, the president reiterated his stance. They have to come in legally. They have to come in through merit. We're not having the people that you're talking about coming into our country. Next week, a reporter asked, next week when the 15-day period ends, remember, we're still in this two-week, 15-day flatten-the-curve garbage that they were creating back then. Next week, when the 15-day period ends, what should we expect then, a reporter asked. Are you going to extend it for another week or two? Well, we'll be talking. President Trump responded. I'll be speaking with Tony Fauci. I'll be speaking with Deborah Burks. I'll be speaking with some of the people that they like and respect, and they're going to bring along with them. We'll be speaking to everybody. I'm not going to do anything rash or hastily. I don't do that. But the country wants to get back to work, Trump reminded this reporter. Our country has our country was built to get back to work. We don't have the a country where they say, "Hey, let's close it down for two years," which is pretty much what they've tried to do, right? Um, we can't do that. I would say by Easter, we'll have a, a recommendation and maybe before Easter, and at the end of the fifteenth day or even during day fifteen, I think we'll have some kind of a recommendation but our country wants to get back to work. Country needs to get back to work, unless you wanna shut the country down. And uh, it's clear that some people would love to do that and have been trying to do that for years, way before COVID-19, right? So now we're gonna look at March 26, 2020. As of today, President Trump said during press conference on March 26th, FEMA has shipped over 9 million N95 masks, 20 million face masks, 3.1 million face shields, nearly 6,000 of the ventilators, 2.6 million gowns, 14.6 million gloves, and and we're spending more every day. And we've got tremendous amounts of equipment coming in. A lot of great companies are making equipment now. The ventilators, obviously, they take a little longer to make. We have a lot of companies making them and we're going to be in great shape. We took over an empty shelf, President Trump continued. We took over a very depleted place in a lot of ways. As you know, the testing is going very, very well. And that was obsolete and broken and we fixed it. And it's been going really good. And I think very importantly, the stockpile, we're really filling up. We're really filling it up. And we fill it up rapidly and we get it out. Sometimes we have it sent directly to the states instead. That's from his presidential briefing. All right. Uh, Yeah, I need to find this source. This may be. This is interesting. Department of Labor. Okay. So in the week ending, March 21st, according to the Department of Labor on March 26th, the advance figure for seasonally adjusted initial claims was 3283000 an increase of 3,100 from the previous week's revised level. Um, so the claims, look at all those claims, huge in, increase right there. All right, so here is a tweet from the U.S. Labor Department, still on uh, uh, March 26th there, and that's where I got that from. Unemployment Insurance Weekly claims, initial claims. So let's talk about the uninsurance claims. I need to make that clear in here. So that needs to be adjusted. Sorry about that. Didn't want people to think those were uh, COVID claims or anything, but those are this is strictly related to the un- to the unemployment. Um, look at that number. I mean, that is really, that's a big number. Um, it's up 3 million people for unemployment. So they did it. They shut the country down. Uh, COVID, whoever is responsible for it, knew exactly what they were doing and got exactly what they wanted. Maybe not exactly, but got pretty... Yeah, they made a big big dent in this in this country here um pretty interesting stuff very sad so uninsured oh insured employment was um 1.8 million about for the week ending and so i mean that these are just crazy crazy numbers um i think i was still working during this time too so okay here's what they say Got that report. Okay, so I did add the PDF. So hopefully the PDF is still there. I need to add that PDF somewhere. So this marks the highest level of seasonally adjusted initial claims in the history of the seasonally adjusted series. The report continued. The previous high was um, 695,000 in October of 1982. The previous week's level was revised by up to 1,000 from 281,000 to 282,000 the four week moving average 998,250 an increase of 765,000 wow from the previous week's revised average so and those numbers are just horrible previous week's average was revised by was revised up by 250 I mean, jeez this is crazy um so, a hopeful article by Foster Kamar reminded me of how powerful and resilient the human body can be. Posted on futurism.com, the article provided a translation of the statement. Vice Mayor Ramini Gloria Lisi made to local Italian newspaper, Ramini Today. The vice mayor spoke about a man named Mr. P. This is an interesting story here. So if you never heard the story of Mr. P, here it is. If you have, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. When I say um, the reminder of how powerful and resilient the human body can be to anything. With God's mercy. Um, with God. According to the story on March 26, 2020, a 101-year-old Mr. P was discharged from the hospital. After recovering from COVID 19. A week earlier, Mr. P was admitted into the hospital after testing positive for coronavirus. He saw everything, wrote the vice mayor. Mr. P Guerrero, hunger, pain, progress, crisis, and resurrections. Once over the 100 year old barrier, destiny has put before him this new challenge invisible and terrible at the same time. Another reason for the name of the book, I guess, um, but Invisible Enemy. that's what it is, right? It's not really visible. You can't, I can't look here, I can't film coronavirus right here. Maybe under a microscope and all that, you can, right? We have all that, but I can't see it. The naked eye, my eyes cannot see it. Even, even if I had my glasses on, I wouldn't be able to see it. <laughs> so obviously with my glasses off, I can barely see anything here. Um, in a few days, he became history for all, also for doctors, nurses, and all health personnel. A hope for the future, a hope for the future. A hope for the future of all of us in this body of a person over 100 years old. He survived coronavirus. This was a big, big deal because all we were hearing about is if you get it, you die, done. This guy's 101 years old. He survived the virus. Within what? A couple weeks here? Pretty crazy. A week. <laughs> One week. What's his secret, right? That's what you. That's what I would want to know. Uh, we talk about patient zero. What about patient Z here? <laughs> this guy, patient P, I guess. The name is Mister P. Um, so a hope for the future of all of us in the body of a person over 100 years old. When the sad chronicles of these weeks mechanically tell tell every day of a virus that is raging above all on the air, on the elderly. And he did it mr p made it the family brought him home yesterday evening very good one so i got that link there. there's a couple links um for that story that i was able to find so those are added to this here hopefully you don't have to go in the way back machine to find them but you never know so even though ruben huva was 99 years old he recovered from covid 19 within 17 days mr huva lived in the Hollyburn House Retirement Home in Vancouver. Another patient, another guy, 99, retired, um, re- recovered here. He tested positive for COVID-19 on March 11th and tested negative on March 25th. Mr. Hoover's daughter, Linda Horpel was not expecting her father to recover. That's what we were being told. I mean, it just goes to that whole thing. It's like, you get it, you're, you're done. It's, it's just not the case. Um, so here's what Linda says, the daughter, I, I didn't really think a 99 year old in a wheelchair could possibly survive it. He did. She said in a CBC news article. So those cases were out there and there could be, these, these are just the ones that we know of and just the ones that are put in the newspapers. We don't know how many others may be out there that we haven't heard of and may never hear of. We also don't know if these were false positives. We also don't know, you know a lot of things like that. So, but um, these are great things. I'm glad that there were some news media that were willing to cover this. And, like, it's not all doom and gloom. People can live from it. We can survive. We can move on. The power of the, of the human body here because of God. We assume now that he's gotten over this, Harper continued. As long as nothing else happens, he'll carry on to his 100th birthday. There you go. And I had a note here find out what cured him. Because, yeah, I want to know, like, what what was this guy doing? You know, if it wasn't a false positive, what was he doing during that week, um, two weeks, whatever, between – March 11, 2020, and March 25, 2020, what was he doing that helped him survive that? Or what did he just wait out the process? How healthy was this guy? Did he have any pre-existing conditions, et cetera, et cetera? Those are all the valuable stuff. I love hearing these stories you know, that they recover, but those are the cases we should be focusing on. Okay, why did they recover? And the media will not focus on that. They just wanted to shut everything down. They were going along with this uh, agenda that some people have to shut everything down, to silence Trump, to, um, to break Trump's economy, that he put, he put people in to the right spots to help build, to help get back. And all of a sudden, it was broken. Coincidence? Well, you got to decide that for yourself as we move on here to March 27, 2020. So now we get to the coronavirus stimulus relief package. And of course, it's really difficult. You know, if you follow whatever news you follow, one's gonna say it's great, one's gonna say it's bad. And there's so much into this. How big do you think this package really is? You know, how big do you think this and can do they even have time to read all this stuff? Always curious about that. It's nothing new. Why would why would we expect anything different um, during this, right? Well, we should, but we don't, we get the same old, same old. So, how serious are they even really taking this? If it's a pandemic, if it's a big crisis, how serious are they taking it when they treat the bill just like a lot of these other things where they throw this garbage in there? If it was so serious, killing so many people, destroying everything, you know, a lot of this. Other extra things, the Green New Deal stuff, and all that other stuff that had nothing to do with anything that, um, specifically related to coronavirus. You know, they wouldn't include all that. So to me, it shows how seriously they're not taking this virus. But let's look at this. As of March 27, 2020, there were 100,000 cases of COVID in the United States, with 14,708 new cases, 862 recoveries and a national death toll of 1,579 people. That same day, Congress finally passed the 2.2 trillion coronavirus stimulus relief package. And you can read that if you want, it's huge. So um, finally, so it looks like around March 27th in the book is where I finally start to focus more on the numbers. How many cases are there? How many new cases are there? How many recoveries are there? And how many deaths are there? So you get all of that right here as of March 27, 2020. The death is pretty small, right? I mean, it's pretty small compared to the cases, 100,000 cases, 1,600 deaths. Pretty interesting stuff. How many of those deaths were are specifically just COVID, no pre-existing conditions, et cetera, et cetera, right? You can get into all that stuff, but um, this is where this is when I finally started to realize. Hey, I need to I need to focus on these numbers because these numbers are going to be very important here, especially once we get to the recovery rate and all of that stuff. Once I learn more about it, it's pretty interesting. Um, so, Congress March twenty seventh, Congress finally passed a two point two trillion coronavirus stimulus relief package, but not before House Representative of Kentucky, Thomas Massey, tried to force a recorded vote on the bill. This is important, too. You want a recorded vote. You want to see who is voting for it, who is voting against it, and who is not even showing up to even vote. So here's what Massey says from Kentucky, House Representative from Kentucky. I swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, he tweeted, and I take that oath seriously. In a few moments, I will request a vote on the CARES Act, which means members of Congress will vote on it by pushing yes or no or present. Very important. Massey was denied a recorded vote. Now, this is interesting. It's Republican here. And they have the Congress, which is we thought, or they should. Um, but obviously, Democrat, Republican, really doesn't matter. I mean, can't really get too deep in, into that. It's They're both playing the same game at a certain level but we do have good congressmen on both sides i want to believe congressmen and women on both sides here the libertarians you know we need more of the third parties in the congress for reasons like this i think i mean he was the why was he denied um this request for a vote i mean you can use your own mind for that assume whatever you want your guess is, is as good as mine. My guess is not a very positive one. Massey was denied the recorded vote and received a large amount of backlash for his efforts from from both Democrats and Republicans, including President Trump. President Trump didn't even you know, su- support him on this. But I mean, this is important, a yes or no or a or a present. I think would be a very, very, a very good thing, a very big deal. But on the Rush Limbaugh show, Representative Massey stated, we will never know who did and did not vote for the CARES Act. Here's his quote. It will remain a mystery. That's from the Rush Limbaugh show, 327, 2020. This is just a warm up act for them, said Massey, adding we should expect similar bills in the future. sounds like he was right sounds like he was right on the money now it seems like president trump is getting some very bad advice as far as that i mean it's really not he really has no say if they do a vote or if if they don't but the fact that he weighed in on it and was against this is is something I, i remember hearing some liberals talking about this stuff and i was like what are they talking about and i went and looked it up and listened to what massey was saying it's like wow okay that makes sense yeah you want to vote. We need to know who votes yes and who votes no. We do it on everything else. There's no reason not to do it on this. We need to know because that will stand the test of time. But he's right. Now it's going to remain a mystery forever. I don't blame Trump for that, but I disagree with Trump, not um, with Trump's stance, but that's, that's his right. He, he can have his own stance on it, but I just I just don't think that's a very good stance on it. But here's the fact. It will remain a mystery. And there's nothing, even if Trump agreed with it, there's nothing he could have done about it. <laughs> he wanted to push this thing through. I think that was his reasoning for it. And we're gonna get to that as, as well. Um, here we go. All right, so President Trump then signed the CARES Act in the Oval Office of the White House. This is a very important day, President Trump began. I'll sign the single biggest economic relief package in American history, and I must say, or any other package, by the way. It's twice as large as any relief ever signed. Interesting. It's $2.2 trillion, but it actually goes up to $6.2 trillion, potentially. So you're talking about $6.2 trillion bill. Huge. Nothing like that. Um, and this will deliver urgent needed relief to our nation's families, workers, and businesses. And that's what this is all about. This is what America is all about, Dr. Fauci. And this is kind of my early introduction to that. I had no idea who Dr. Fauci was, what he was doing. I just saw him. There's this short little dude standing behind Trump. He's there and blah, blah, blah. This is before he starts going on C- CNN and pretty much, I wouldn't say bashing President Trump, but saying something completely different than what Trump was talking about. And we can see that happening and happening more and more now. So Dr. Zeta, this is what America is all about, a bipartisan approach with your leadership to do something that's sorely needed by the American people. Dr. Birch and I, and all of our medical people here are fighting the virus directly, but the virus has an impact on the American people, both directly by illness and death, but also indirectly, because many of the things that we have to do to suppress the virus has a negative impact because of what we're doing to give them relief economically is absolutely essential. President Trump then signed the, the CARES Act and you can see that the remarks are right there. Now, about an hour later, President Trump held a press conference to expand on the package of the bill and answer questions from the press. This afternoon, I invoked the Defense Production Act, said President Trump. This invocation of the DPA should demonstrate clearly to all that we will not hesitate to use the full authority of the federal government to combat this crisis. This afternoon, President Trump continued, I also signed an executive order investing and very, very strongly investing the Department of Health and Human Services and the, the Department of Homeland Security with the full authorities available under the Defense Production Act to respond to the outbreak of the terrible virus, the invisible enemy, as we say. So when I was thinking about naming this book, that was one of the the China virus, the invisible enemy, those were kind of the two that I went back and forth on. So um, nothing set in stone yet, but pretty interesting. The invisible enemy gets mentioned a lot. Um, the, The only reason why I would hesitate in calling it the China virus, I don't know if it came from China that's the official theory that's the official story from what it seems like of course they don't really talk about that they never want to talk about where the virus came from when do you hear Biden talking about that you know when you hear all these people that are so scared and so worried about the virus and never really talk about that so anyways uh the New Jersey Army National Guardsman Captain Douglas Lynn Hickok was the first United States service member to die from COVID Army Captain Hickok was hospitalized on March 21st and died on March 27, 2020. Interesting timing here for he died. We also lost New Jersey National Guard Captain Douglas Hickok this weekend. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said during a COVID-19 briefing on March 30th, he was a drilling guardsman and physician's assistant, originally from Jackson, New Jersey. He was a Pennsylvania resident at his death. And passed away in a Pennsylvania hospital. And while we will not, and while he will not be counted among our state's COVID-19 losses, their loss hurts no less because of that. I just, and the reason why, because of where he died, I mean, he he'll be counted somewhere. I mean, it's not like he's not gonna be counted at all. But I, I just got off the phone with his wife, Mary Bless her and bless them. I sent her and Tammy's and indeed our entire state's condolences to her and their children, Alexander and Robert who I spoke to with her as well as Noah and their family. Pretty sad stuff here. The United States Department of Defense also released a statement about the captain's death. So there's the statement there, the full. And I really tried to include a lot of these documents. I wanted to include that. um, Keep my thoughts. This is, I mean, obviously, that's what the video is kind of for, where I can just share some of my thoughts if I have any on this stuff. But a lot of what the book is meant to be is just... The documents and that's it um so maybe as we go on that may change a little bit but here's um some more about march 27th the office of the secretary of defense wrote a memorandum to all department of defense personnel stating the reasoning for the quote imposed restrictions on all domestic and international travel we understand the impact of delaying pcs moves modifying training exercises and temporarily closing some installation services these decisions are necessary to mitigate risk to you and your families while we work to ease the burden on the force as much as possible and then there's the full memorandum with the pdf there so uh, again i try to include in the actual documents here it may be hard especially if it's in book form maybe hard to really read to to see but um It was very important to to include that as well. Uh, Let's see. So I think we will stop right there at page 38. And next, we will continue on to page 39. And we're going to get into some interesting stuff. (laughs) Interesting stuff here um, about uh, COVID-19. All right. God bless you all. And um, thank you all again for joining me here. I'll stop the screen share as well. And um this was episode number four. We'll come back next time, episode number five, and we'll continue on discussing these very important things here regarding this case. So God bless you all and until then.
1: Hey, what's up everybody? This is Ross from Planet X Filmworks channel on YouTube and the Zodiac Files True Crime Series check it out and shout out to greg and the gray stage channel their content is amazing are you interested in the paranormal murder mysteries cryptocurrency, and thought-provoking interviews, then check out Crypt Ricks I've Been Thinking on YouTube, or every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Studio A, at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Welcome to the Crypt (laughs) What's up, everybody? This is Ross from Planet X Filmworks channel on YouTube and the Zodiac Files True Crime series. Check it out and shout out to Greg and the Grey Stage channel. Their content is amazing. Everyone, this is Sophia from the Gray Stage Podcast, and I'd like to invite all of our listeners to join the Justice for David Crowley and Family group, located on Facebook, where we have almost four thousand members. In this group, we welcome discussions regarding the case, and have all of the documents located in the file section for everyone to review. If you like, you're welcome to visit Greg Fernandez Jr.'s website called the gray stage. It's located at the Graystage wordpress.com. You can find his book and all the official documents for this case at his website. Lastly, I'd like to introduce you to Catherine Michelle, who's a part of this podcast. Catherine Michelle has a YouTube channel under her name, where she mainly discusses the Crowley case. So please feel free to stop by and give her channel a like and a listen. Until our next podcast, keep seeking the truth and justice for David Crowley and his family.